BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and the host of Friend of a Friend, a show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring conversations about building something from the ground up. Today is a really special episode for me because I got to interview one of my dearest friends who is currently all the way in France and I haven't gotten to see in so long, Fanny Poidette-Denon. For those of you who don't know Fanny and already know she is literally the chicest woman in the world, Fanny is the international PR and special projects manager for Dior Beauty. She was raised in Rwanda, studied in France, and moved to Los Angeles to pursue a career in fashion, where she had a chance encounter with Dior's Jerome Police, a meeting that would kickstart her career within the luxury house and continue on for the next eight years. Today, she is one of the most well-known names in the business of fashion, working closely with the house's brand ambassadors, coordinating public relations internationally, and an influential figure herself for her enviable style and inspirational work ethic. She also happens to be an incredible friend with one of the biggest hearts I know. In this episode, Fanny opens up to me about the dramatic shift that's occurred in her life since the murder of George Floyd and the global movement for Black Lives Matter, what it means to her to be a Black woman in fashion, especially in France, and the importance of allyship in our mission for equality. Here's my friend, Fanny Bordet-Denon. Hi, I'm so excited to see you. Me too. (laughs) I feel like I haven't seen you for so long. I genuinely don't remember the last time that I saw you. You know, when was that? It was when we were in Laguna. Oh my God, you're right. For the skincare lab. Which was back in January. Yeah. But like feels like another world ago. Literally. Literally. Literally another world. So for everybody just tuning in, I am on a Zoom call with a dear friend of mine, Fanny. For everybody who is listening right now, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Of course. Okay, who I am? Well, my name is Fanny. I'm 35 years old, French woman. I'm half French, half Randy's, for those of you who don't know me. And I work in fashion. I've been working in fashion uh, pretty much all my life now. (laughs) And I'm based in Paris. I think that has its importance. (laughs) Yes, that will definitely play a big role in the conversation that we're going to have today. What's on your mind this week? How are you feeling? I feel good. I feel really good. I'm supposed to be on summer break. I'm I'm saying supposed because this summer has been really different. <laughs> we have I'm not complaining. You know, I'm not complaining at all because I feel really lucky and 
fortunate to have a job that I love, you know. I've been working on this campaign that is coming out mid-September that I can't really talk about right now, but which is why, you know, with the no traveling and it's uh, it's different video shoots that have been going on all over the world, you know, and me not being able to travel, uh, it's been a lot of planning and production from abroad, which haven't been easy, which explains why I was saying that I'm still kind of working right now. <laughs> I'm so excited about this episode because it came about in such a beautiful way. Fanny has been offline for quite some time now since the pandemic and since a moment of civil unrest. I think she's been taking a lot of time to just process what's going on around her. I will not speak for you, but she gave me a call and said, you know, I've been off the grid and I've been trying to understand what this world is going through. And I've come to so many thoughts. And she wanted to come on the show and have a really honest conversation about that, about this current moment, about being a Black woman in fashion, about being in fashion in Paris, especially in the luxury world. So I appreciate you so much for acknowledging and like identifying that you're going through that moment, number one. That's a huge thing to be like, oh, I am going through a personal transformation. But I appreciate you even more for being willing to share that so that other people can maybe find that moment of introspection as well? Well, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for you to allow me to be on the show because I thought it was very important as, you know, we are friends. And I value, I value a lot of friendship for a lot of different reasons. You know, you've always been an ally of mine. You know, out of all the conversation we had, we, you, you one uh, of the rare friend of mine, I never invalidated my experiences. You know, you never made me doubt. And I think that this cross-racial trust that we have, you know, it's very important. And those are the conversations that are going to lead to actual changes. You know, I think that this is what people need to understand is that we all know that we all came to realization that or industry and or word and, and the system in which we were living had to change, but we won't make it happen alone, you know? So we need allies. We need people who are going to be able to step up for us. We're going to echo what we're saying, we'll, you know? So again, thank you so much. And you know, I've been a big fan of your work and your podcast, and, and I think you're definitely one of my work friend, you know, uh, and I'm seeing this in a very, very nice and positive way. And by the way, I really apologize for my, as you can tell, you know, I'm very French with, uh, we love it. Uh, we love it. So I really apologize <laughs> for my accent and thank you very much for bearing with me. So, uh, why did I, um, why did I decide to, uh, come off and disconnect my Instagram for a minute? Well, as all of us, I was devastated. I was heartbroken. I was, I was really depressed, you know, like, and I, I realized that I, not only I needed to heal, you know, but this process of mine, you know, this process that I was about to embark on this journey where a lot of realizations that all of us have had, which were, we needed to educate ourselves, you know, um, not that we're not educated, you know, like, men and women, you know, far from that. But when I say educate yourself, it's like on those specific racial problematic and or history, you know, simply the thing that we don't learn at school, you know, because I... Which was quite a lot. 
which is a lot, you know, I went to, you know, like I went to school in French lycées most of my life. I had a very Eurocentered education, which is great. You know, I really don't criticize this, but I felt that I had a lot of lake in my, a lot of missing points in my education. I needed to make the work, you know, and in order to really really understand what I was living and what, what was the system that we were we were living in, you know, which is the result of our history. And if you don't know your history, you will never be able to understand. And you have no idea how those past months and just like reading and like having those discussions with our elders, you know, and have made me realize so much things, you know, that I've always questioned. And I was like, why is this happening? Why, why do I feel this way? Why I just needed to do the work. And, you know, I felt that I'm not, you know, like I'm not a creator. I didn't need to be on the platform at this moment, you know, so I took advantage of that, you know, people needed to be heard. If there's anything that we talk about often on this podcast, it's that taking care of yourself is number one, especially when it comes to our skin. Whether you're worried about dullness, redness, fine lines, or acne, trying to find the right treatment can be really frustrating, especially in these times. It's been a huge challenge for me in COVID, whether it's breaking out from my mask or not even feeling safe enough to visit a dermatologist and get it taken care of professionally. Now there's a simpler, smarter solution to skincare. Meet Rory, a digital health clinic for women. Rory is a sister brand of Roman, and like Roman, they make it simple to connect with a healthcare professional online and see if a personalized prescription skincare treatment is right for you, all from the comfort of your own home. Go on your phone or computer and complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. If appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you and your skin. With Rory, you don't even have to go to a pharmacy. Your custom skincare is delivered right to you with free two-day shipping. You can also follow up with a healthcare professional anytime if you need to make a change to your treatment or have questions. They're there with you every step of the way on your skincare journey. With Rory, there are also no commitments and you can cancel at any time. Go to hellorory.com backslash friend to try out their nightly defense treatment plan for just $5. It's free to chat with a doctor and your first order is only $5. That's hellorory.com. H-E-L-L-O-R-O-R-Y dot com backslash friend. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. And I'm Andana Dayani. We decided to create a podcast to introduce you to the people who inspire us most. These are the dissenters. The people who just made a decision one day to break down the establishment and build a new one. In the greatest times of grief or even the most ordinary of circumstances, many heroes will rise. You just have to take that first step. So please tune in this May for our premiere episode and catch a new episode every Wednesday. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are heroes everywhere. Discover them. Become one. I would love to hear a little bit about, firstly, your journey into fashion. But secondly, what that pivotal moment was within your career that you knew that you needed to advocate louder for diversity within fashion. You know, the thing is, I never felt that I needed to advocate louder for anyone. I, because also maybe of who I am, you know what I mean? Like, and also maybe of 
you know, like, yes, it's intrinsically linked to who I am because I grew up traveling. So I've always been very sensitive to other cultures and really embracing, you know, like other cultures that are like, it always been like a big source of inspiration. And it's like, I, I literally die, you know, if you, if I'm not, you know, like, in touch with other people's or culture. Yeah, you lived in so many places growing up, right? Yes. And yeah. you no, know, it's like it's it's literally who I've always been, you know? So I've you know, like even in my job, you know, like when I was doing castings and, you know, like for collaborations, you know, I work on the PR side. It was never a question. I was never trying to, oh, you know, like I need a person, you know, like I wasn't trying to fit, you know, like fit quotas, you know, like what I do is like I pick the best. You know what I mean? I pick people for their talents. You know what I mean? That that being, you know, like photogra- like photographers, stylists, you know, but also creators, you know, that we collaborate with around launches, you know, I go for the talent of the person. Particularly this time made me feel that I needed not to advocate for people in front of the camera, but more people that are working in offices. You know what I mean? I think that right. my responsibility today is more to take care of the behind the scene people, you know, and what is going on on corporate offices, you know, and what is the support that people of colors and black people are getting, you know, in the institution we work in. It's time. It's time. We, it, it's enough. We heard enough that we needed to be patient, that we need to be, we needed to wait we need, how long do we need to wait? You know, like there's no more wait. There's no more waiting. You know, like it's now we need to have more perspective. We need to take care of the people that are in the offices and we need to have, you know, like those perspectives. This is where I felt that I needed to be a voice. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it absolutely makes sense. I watched the video. For those of you who haven't watched, it's on British Vogue. It's on YouTube. It was part of their September issue, but they had some incredible, incredible people come in for a roundtable, like a virtual roundtable over YouTube. Everybody from Janet Mock, Yara Shahidi, Virgil Abloh, Jesse Williams. It was an incredible roundtable. It's about an hour long. I can link it in the description of this episode. But there's something that Virgil said that really stuck with me that probably will resonate with you and especially with what you just said. But he was like, the time is over for excuses. Like there's always an excuse for why diversity is not at the forefront or why a person of color is not getting the opportunity. There's always this excuse or, you know, it wasn't your time or blah, blah, blah. And he's like, we have hit the point where those excuses can no longer, they can no longer fly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we need to, we need to be the ally, you know, um, that we need to be the shoulders, you know, we need to, we just, we just need to be here. You know, we, not only we need, we need to hire more people of color, but also we need to create spaces where they can properly do their jobs, where they're not facing microaggression daily, you know, where we can fight, you know, against tokenism, you know, it's like all those questions, you know, and let's be honest, you know, the world is evolving and the new generation, the Gen Z is so aware, you know, they they won't take all that my generation, even your generation took, you know. So that's also what brands need to understand now. If you want to be part of the game moving forward, 
you are going to need to make those adjustments. They want brands that reflect their reality. Absolutely. You know, and and this, you have no idea, like this gave me so much hope, like seeing this new generation and how they fight and how they don't take no for an answer, you know, it's so inspiring and they're so fearless. My generation was so afraid, you know, because, um, because also you have to understand where we come from. You know, usually when you get those jobs, you know, like I remember having conversation even with my family, you know, like first they don't even want you to um, have such big expectations they don't they felt really skeptical when I wanted when I told them that I wanted to get into fashion you know for them that wasn't something that I could get in and be really happy you know so you know like when you were asking me like what was what was a declic that made me think that I needed to advocate louder I've always had to advocate I didn't choose that I needed to advocate, you know, I would have largely prefer, you know, have like very traditional, you know, like parkour where I get an interview, I get hired and I get promotion and where my only concern is to do my job, you know, well, no, you know, that's not our reality, you know, when this is not your reality, automatically you have to adjust, you know, and you do your job differently. You said something earlier that I feel the need to clear up in a way. And it's something that, as I was having a lot of conversations with friends at the peak of the protests, you know, I have a lot of friends in fashion as well that are dealing with the strong desire to create more diverse and inclusive workplaces. And in my conversations with them, I would say that, okay, how are you doing that? And you know, a lot of the responses that I got back were something that you just said was, I hire the best person for the job, which is great. Obviously, as your role, as somebody that is hiring, you always want to hire the best person for the job. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how people in your position and how people that are in the hiring position can both combine that while also advocating for inclusivity and diversity in the workplace. Because I think I heard that a lot in those conversations. And it was like, okay, yes, we want to hire the best person for the job, but you also want to give people an opportunity. So where do you think there is the middle ground there? And what advice would you have for people in melding those two? I've read something uh, not so long ago and it resonated to me so much because this is exactly how I feel. I think it was Trevor Noah, you know, from The Daily Show, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And it was like, what black people are asking are we're not asking for charity we're asking for equality you know meaning we don't ask you to hire more black people we ask you to stop not hiring people because they are black you know what i mean which is a very big difference let me tell you we want to stop the discrimination and once you stop that you know that's a completely different dynamic, you know? So I think we just have to switch those mentality, you know, and, uh, and just understand that I'm hiring the best. I'm not, you know, like when I work with this, I want to work with a specific stylist, let's say, you know, I will pick this stylist specifically because I think it's the most exciting right now. And also is going to give me the best for the job. You know what I mean? I create it to me is a collaborative work. And this is the way I look at, I've 
production when I'm I when I produce photo shoots. It's like what is my goal? You know where am I going and what am I trying to accomplish? Based on that, it's like it's literally trying to build the most creative, you know, like team and in order to make the, the best work out of it. You've worked primarily in beauty in my experience with you. Since you've worked in such a close, intimate way with that industry on a global level, where do you think the beauty industry falls short in including diversity and showcasing like a vision of the world? If you work in the beauty industry, you know that there was a, bef- a before and after the Fenty effect. You know, this is how we call it. And let's all be honest, you know, all the large shades, you know, that we had and like all the success, you know, like of uh, the celebrations of like all the diversity of like having like all those different, you know, like shades for everyone and like every single carnation, you know, like we have to thank Fetty for that, you know? I feel that every other brand before that was very shy, you know, and it was like very specific to one single market, you know, we'll do that for the US or we'll do that, you know, for another market, you know? And then you arrive in, you know, like, let's say in France, well, guess what? I don't have my shade, you know? So uh, I think that we have to acknowledge that, you know, Fenty, uh, Makeup, Really, and Rihanna, that was a big lesson for the beauty industry and making realize that, yes, you know, women of color use makeup, you know, and women of colors have like different carnations, you know, and that was really important. And so now I feel that what I think the, the next step for the, for the beauty industry is more specifically for global and international brands, they have to be, they have to educate markets in the way let let me explain what i'm what i mean you have to have a strong point of view not try to please everyone and uh be like oh you know like i have all those offers you know all all this offering you know available you know i think that now it's more about like making a statement and being you know like making faces global you know what i want to see i want to see black model being you know like the global uh face of a beauty brand and being the face of the campaign worldwide you know i don't want her to be only the face for one single market you know so i think that now it's more about this it's making like making sure that people of color are not coming in support of a white talent, you know, like, and they're more, you know, like the main, the main talents of the campaigns, you know, what is fashion? Fashion is we're selling a dream. So if we're selling a dream, we need everybody to be part of this dream. You know what I mean? So, and we need everybody to fight, you know, for everyone to have the right to be part of this dream, you know, this is why I do what I do, you know? I agree. Something I really want to see changed in beauty is the back end. Like what's going on behind the scenes. And not just not just on the level of making sure that the cast and crew are diverse. Something that I've always thought is really interesting about beauty, especially in my experience in editorial growing up, was that the beauty industry like completely left out people of color in terms of knowledge and education. Like if you, we had this conversation on another episode with Joanna Simpkin, who's a makeup artist, but all of the education that has gone into beauty, like how to do the perfect wave and how to do the perfect curl, like that is only for 
people who have like hair like mine. And I think Joanna said something that was so amazing in this episode and has just stuck with me. She was like, if you are a beauty editor, it is your responsibility to have education on all makeup types, all hair types. You should know what type of curl pattern I have. You should know how to do edges. You should know all of those things the same way that you know how to curl your own hair or, you know, cut your own bangs or whatever it is. But it's something that's always been super interesting to me that, and I think needs to be, to me in the fashion, in the beauty industry needs to be at the forefront right now because it's only, the beauty industry to me is only showcasing white beauty habits. We come to the tokenism we were talking about earlier. It's like right. you have that one person that is hired that is going to go and cover all those events, you know? But uh, to right. further to what, and to what you were saying, it's, it's crazy because I, it's funny because I was just, I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago with makeup artists and hairstylists, which whom I've had multiple conversations as well, you know, due to the fact that hair and makeup school also train, you know, you to a certain type, you know, in front right. of you know, like they don't, for example, you know, like how many stories have you heard of models that like had to do their hair and makeup by themselves because they had a bad experience, you know? So this need to change. If you ask me what needs to change as well, there's so much to change, Olivia. It's like, but at the same time, it's great, but we need to, like, this is one of the change, you know, we need to go back to our hair and makeup school and make sure that they know when they get the diploma, how to do all type of makeup and how to do like all type of hair, you know, that uh, no girls is going to end up with her hair burned because someone didn't know how to deal with her hair. You know, when you produce a photo shoot and you have a black talent, you know, you know, a lot of people, if you're not concerned about, you know, like the specificity of like, the hairs, the makeup, you know, that this talent needs, you know, you will book, you know, a team that will not be appropriate or good for her, you know, that will not know how to make her, you know, look the best and how she should, you know, for the photo shoot. So that's also come back to like having more diversity and inclusivity in the production company, in the marketing team, in the PR teams, because those are the people who are going to be, wait a minute, I know that these talents should have this hair, this hair artist and this uh, makeup artist. You know what I mean? Just like, just be yes, sensitive. Yeah. Just be sensitive to everyone's specificity. I think a lot of brands think that just because their big global campaigns include diversity, include talent that is diverse, that that like fills their quota for like being a diverse brand. And it's like, no, everything from who's on your runway, to who is behind the scenes on your runway, to your small micro-influencer campaigns on social, to who you gift and seed to. All those things need to reflect diversity or else it doesn't matter that you have someone of color as your global face. Like If you're not taking every single element of your company and keeping that as a part of, like in line with your morals and in line what you think your brand is quote unquote diverse as like, that's not enough for me. It's not. 
it's an, another version to me of what you were saying earlier, like the tokenism. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. we had a black model be our face, but like, what about everything else? But you know what I'm really happy about is like now uh, people see through it. You know what I mean? And it makes me really happy. A hundred percent. Like we were talking about this, you know, like now even creators, they're like, wait a minute. I don't want to be part of it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that now it's more about like, I think we all need like, we need to do it with love, you know, a lot of love, you know, I, uh, I can deal with aggressivity right now. I can, you know, like, oh, and there's so much of it. I was thinking the other day, actually, especially as someone with a podcast who has to pretty much say her opinion a lot. I was like, wow, I had an opinion about something. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to share that. Like, it, like someone's going to come out of the woodwork and start an argument and like free speech all the way. Love it. But I just feel like right now you can't have an opinion and you can't say what's on your mind and end up having a healthy dialogue and a healthy discourse with people without some sort of like crazy aggression and like, no, you're wrong. It's this way. I'm not even going to listen to you. I'm hoping that it changes one day. I think people are in a very like new state of discovery. I think people are learning a lot of things. I think people are kind of like repeating what they've heard, whether it's like on a talk show or from Instagram or from Twitter, whatever it is. But like, no one's really taking the second to be like, oh, like this is how I feel and this is how I think. Instead, everyone's being like, this is fact and what you're saying is wrong. I, yes, exactly. I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of like this way of thinking. And I, I think that we need to be, um, we need to, we need to be humble. We need to, everybody makes mistakes and this is how you grow, you know? I'd love to talk a little bit about your journey. What has it been like rising to the place that you're in, especially because you do work on such a high level in a luxury sector of the fashion industry in Europe? Well, my experience, I was, I was really lucky and really blessed, to be honest, you know, because I, um, I had the chance to meet, to, I didn't use, uh, I, did, I didn't use a traditional, you know, way of getting into a brand. And I don't know if I would, where, I, I would be where I am today if I had to, you know, I had the chance to meet my today boss who gave me my chance. And this person was a real ally. And for that, I will always be grateful to him. And I'm really grateful that I'm part of a team, you know, uh, the communication team and the PR team here at Central that, um, that is like, like a little family, you know, and that always been like really supportive and like, so yeah, I feel like really blessed in that sense, you know? Yeah. You kept saying a traditional route in terms of going into fashion and I can't help but feel that that traditional route obviously is more challenging. Absolutely. That's why I was saying I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't have that person that pushed for me, that took my resume and went and was like, okay, and push it through the HR. It's been amazing to see so many Black figures come forward and start to do scholarship funds for Black youth to put more attention on schooling and education. I know Virgil just did a million dollars for Black youth, which is amazing. But in that same thought process, how you're saying like, oh, I didn't have the traditional route. Like what support do you think needs to be provided and what needs to be changed about that traditional route, especially through the lens of like, you know, even like how Virgil's thinking of like this whole system needs to be fixed and the allyship needs to be stronger for every Black youth that's coming up and wants to succeed and thrive in an industry. 
I strongly believe in the in allyship programs, meaning that an allyship is very different than being a mentor. Being a mentor is, you know, is giving advice. Being an ally is like, okay, you know what? Yes, I'm going to give you advice, but also I'm going to help you actively finding a job. You know, since I had this uh, untraditional again parkour, this is also what I do with my interns. You know, like automatically I kind of like became this ally myself, you know, where, and this is something that I want to develop and hopefully I'll be able to talk about it more moving forward, but I want to develop allyship. I really strongly believe that even if each of us decided to be, to, you know, to be an ally to one person, you know, can you imagine the change that I will make in the world, you know, just commit, you know, to be helping that one person in giving her advice, to being here, to listen to her or him, you know, when she's going through something and she doesn't know how to react because it's the first time that she's going through this or is going through this, how to navigate, how to ask, you know, for a raise, how to uh, get promotions, you know, how to get a job. So I strongly, strongly believe that the future um, resides in allyship, but also I really believe that we should integrate anti-racism program and training in companies from entry level to top executive level, you know. Two things. One, if you're a brand owner or somebody who works for a brand right now that's looking to do something like that, two of Fanny and I's friends, Chrissy Rutherford and Danielle Prescott, just started an agency in New York City where they go in and they do anti-racism workshops for people, brands, businesses, whatever it is. So I can also link their website in the description of this episode. They are amazing. Uh, we were talking about the experience of Tiffany Reed the other day, you know, in Paris, during Paris Fashion Week. And it's so important, you know, it's so important because, yes, Paris is this beautiful city, you know, like the city of fashion, the city of refinement, you know. Uh, it's the city of love. The city of love, the city of art, you know. But at the same time, this is happening, you know, in our country, you know, very much happening. And we have to acknowledge it, you know. Let's talk about that a little bit. I'll spark note the Tiffany Reed story. I really implore everybody listening right now to read it. She was, she basically posted an op-ed on Business of Fashion about her experience during Paris Fashion Week. She was going to a press appointment, which in Paris is usually actually like in an apartment or at a home. You kind of show up to a very nondescript building. You are like, someone has to come get you or you have to like type in the keypad. It's usually a really- Because it's charm, you know, which has- It's it's charming, (laughs) but it's also usually like, I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen in this building? You never know what's going to happen in this building. Case in point, Tiffany's story here, actually. Tiffany followed a woman who was obviously a resident of the building in behind her. And the woman, as Tiffany was trying to go up the elevator, wouldn't let her up. And Tiffany was like, you know, why? And, you know, Tiffany made a really interesting point that she was, you know, during Paris Fashion Week, dressed head to toe in designer. She had a driver and a private car outside waiting for her. And the white French woman looked at her and she was like, no, you can't, you can't come in here and said, people like you steal things. Can you imagine how traumatizing? Can you imagine? Throwing this, at an, obviously at a, beautiful editor, you know, all dressed up, running from one show to another, you know, like, yes, you know, like the aggressivity of, of the situation. Can you, can you imagine like, and you not speaking the language and 
I can imagine, you know, like, so both women being, you know, like, of course, you know, like screaming or like, you know, being like, it devastated me. Like reading this story made me sick in my stomach. And, you know, so what was the part that like really like made me really sad is like the part where Tiffany comes back to her car and uh, she tells her driver was a black man and the driver tells her, oh, but you know, this happens here all the time and offers to take care of her because is during the rest of her trip or like during the rest of the day because he knows it's going to happen again. And this is what we have to face on a daily basis. You know what I mean? I myself have to deal with it on a daily basis. But I speak the language and I'm from here. You know what I mean? So I can defend myself, you know, and trust me, I can defend myself. But, or, you know, I can just, <laughs> or I just don't pay attention. You know what I mean? I just pretend I don't, you know, when I'm not in the mood, I'm like, oh, you know, like not today. I have better things to do. But it's horrible that you have to, that's even something that you have to wrap, like be like, oh, I'm not in the mood for this today. That's all reality, you know? You've lived, and you li- you've lived in Paris for most of your life. Not most of my life, but like for uh, almost the past 10 years, you know? Yeah, for, uh, most of your adult life. And it yeah. happens in my own building where I own my own apartments. You know what I mean? Like people like, don't acknowledge I'm here or like, you know, like don't say hi or like, you know, try to run, you know, <laughs> at the door so they don't have to cross my way. Like I'm used to it, you know, it's, it's sad, but, uh, so yeah, this story made me sad and it's like, it's very important that we are vocal about it and that we fight really hard and that, that we don't let this happen, you know? It was incredibly powerful to see countries around the world protest after the murder of George Floyd in solidarity with America. Why do you think France falls so far behind? Not to say that America doesn't have moments like that every single day, every second of the day, but where do you think France is getting it wrong? We don't acknowledge it. We don't speak about it. We're very private. You know what I mean? We're like, we, yeah. we hide behind this concept of privacy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like French are like very private people, especially when it comes to politics. Like it's not. That's a very convenient way of describing it, if you want my opinion. Right. I think that I'm sick and tired. Uh, I've heard it for my entire life that we're very private. We don't communicate. Uh, we don't talk about like our political opinion. We don't talk about salaries. We don't talk about, ooh, we're too, we're, we're too chic, you know, like this is. Too, I, you took the words out of my mouth. I was about to be like, we're too chic for this. Exactly. We're too chic to be human. I'm like, no. Okay, stop the, stop the business right. right now. You know, like we, you are not private. You are being hypocritical at this point, you know, friends. And it's very interesting to acknowledge this because Belgium, which uh, had a very problematic colonial, uh, colonial past, you know, is starting to make the work, you know, and is way more advanced than we are. You know, they recognize the atrocity that they uh, perpetrated in Congo, which is huge, which is huge, you know, and they decided to include it in the educational system. And it's now part of the history that they teach, you know, in Belgium. In France, we don't, you know. In France, we don't, we don't, uh, we haven't even recognized, you know, and we were talking about it earlier, it's like we haven't recognized anything about our problematic colonial past, we, and which has a very big impact in the way we, our society is structured today. 
What's given you a little bit of hope in the past few weeks? What's giving me hope? The youth is giving me hope, you know? Like oh, yeah. Seeing them so energized, you know, like so uh, motivated and, you know, like advocating for this election, you know, like, and I'm feeling it from here, you know, like. Yeah, I love to see how emotional you're even getting about the American election. Yeah. I'm That's like, awesome. I, I love that. I do, I do because you you also have to understand that you elected a black president. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and America is America. So obviously, whatever happens in America will influ- will have an influence on the entire planet. So, for this reason, you know, obviously, I'm closely following what's going on. But also, as you know, like I lived a good part of my life in America, and a good part of my best friends are based there. So it's like. <laughs> I, I have this connection, of course, you know, like with America and like listening to all the podcasts and listening to listening to the youth. Like when I watch, you know, Yara Shahidi, when I, you know, like Amanda Stenberg, like all those young, inspire, inspiring women, you know, like uh, being so vocal, I, it, it gives me so much hope yeah. for the future. We've seen some incredible organizations come together in the past couple of weeks, which makes me feel that's what's giving me hope right now is the rallying around these incredible organizations, even like Danielle and Chrissy's, which is so incredible. Um, Aurora James's 15% pledge, which has garnered so much support. Even the Black and Fashion Council started by Lindsay Peoples-Wagner and Sandrine Charles. Like those things are, are giving me so much hope. What's your mantra right now? What's keeping you sane? Wow, that's a very good question. Uh, it's just a strong belief that we're going to be all right. I have a strong belief this is the time. We're going to make happen the change that we want to see in this world for the future, you know? Yes. Mine this week is, it's okay to change your mind. I love that. I love that. That's Thank a good one. <laughs> I think people get really fixated on their opinions and then they get very very insecure about changing their mind because they've already said what they had to say. And it's like, no, 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 we're allowed to evolve. We're allowed to hear a new opinion and then change ours. It's okay. Absolutely. I love to close out the show by asking you to tag a friend. Who's somebody that's inspiring you? Who's somebody that we should be listening to? Who should you be listening to right now? She's not a friend, but she's such a brilliant mind. You should be listening to Yara Shaidi. All day, every day. One of my All favorite day, people day. on this planet. You know, the happiness, the smiles, the brilliance. I strongly believe in the softness, in the pressure, in the constant pressure, in the fight against racism. And to me, she reflects all that. A hundred percent. Big up, Yara. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you for coming on and speaking from your heart. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Bs. See you next week.